human beings are not self-sufficient. We may be able to live on an island all alone and scrounge up enough food and water to sustain our bodies. But there's a reason that so many who have been forced into such a state are pushed to the brink of madness. We cannot satisfy our needs alone. A psychologist by the name of Abraham Maslow organized these human needs into a hierarchy. Most of the basic needs, such as air, water, food, and sleep, are laid like a foundation. Climbing up the list, there's found human needs like security, health, family, friendship, self-esteem, respect, very few of which can be satisfied alone. Therefore, the human condition is continually reaching, reaching outside of themselves, in a constant state of dependence on others. But some needs go beyond what can be found in human relationship. That's why many, if not most, reach out to something bigger than themselves. Some may seek for fulfillment in a cause, in a pursuit, or in an achievement. But for most, this reach is toward the divine. It's an attempt to contact God. In most religions of the world, this reach is expressed through prayer. Now, prayer is not an emptying of the mind like many forms of Eastern meditation. It's not a focusing of the thoughts so that inner peace might be reached. Prayer is not an exercise of psychological relaxation or an emission of positive mental vibrations. Prayer is conversing with God. It is an attempt to speak to God, to ask God something, and for God to respond. Time and time again in the Bible, we are assured that God hears and answers prayer. However counterintuitive the act of prayer may seem to our human sensibilities, God assures us through His Word that prayer is not a futile activity. It is speaking into the ear of God and God responding to that prayer. Prayer requires no divine calling, no exceptional skills, no theological degree, no boldness of personality, no gift of eloquence, and no captivated audience. And yet, an effective prayer ministry can accomplish more by one person in several evenings of private prayer than an army of evangelists earnestly preaching for months at a time. This is seen time and time again, not only in the scriptures, but in the lives of men like George Mueller, who fed hundreds of orphans solely through the power of prayer, or John Nelson Hyde, known as Praying Hyde, who through a powerful prayer life reached millions in India. And also a man who, because his prayer ministry was so isolated and so discreet that he is all but forgotten in Christian history, a man who is considered by the evangelist that he worked with the indispensable element of an effective crusade to reach the lost. As his small gravestone reads, in understated words, Daniel Nash, mighty in prayer. I'm Ronnie Brown, and this is Forgotten.
Nash is a bit elusive when it comes to the history of his life. There is next to nothing passed down concerning his early days. There is no sketch of what influences of his early childhood experience might have formed him into such a mighty man of prayer. All that can be gleaned from these days of his youth is that he was born on November 27, 1775. We know that at 40 years of age, he had accepted the pastorate of the Stowe's Square Congregational Presbyterian Church in Lowville Township, and that he had moved there from Onondaga County around the area of Syracuse, New York. And by the time of the first census in that area, he owned a small farm. During the first year of his ministry, it seemed as though God had his hand on Daniel Nash. Church records indicate that in a reviving move of God, 70 people were converted and entered into the church. One of the early converts that he baptized, Sally Porter, would become his wife only a few months later. His ministry there at Stowe Square blossomed over the coming years. The church was growing and progressing. Mission outreach, Sunday school, and a new meeting house were all constructed during this time. All signs of a thriving church and a bright future. All indications pointed to Nash remaining there for many years to come. But on September 25, 1822, a strange meeting was called at an unusual time and Daniel Nash was voted out of the pastorate by a vote of nine to three. This was a shocking turn of events, and there's little insight as to why this removal took place. The only reason surviving to this day in the records were that they wanted a young man to settle in. Evidently, at the age of 46, they thought him to be too old to be in the pastorate and may have also resented his travel. Not long after his removal, there was another move of God involving Nash in a town not too far from Stowe Square, where he was preaching. In a township with a population of only 2,000 people, and with as few as 308 houses, there were 200 people converted to Christ. Practically the whole town was swept into revival, and yet the church that removed him as the pastor made no attempt to recall him. There are few people outside the ministry that understand the relationship between a loving pastor and the flock over which God has placed him. That shepherd bears his heart week in and week out. He invests time in prayer for their benefit and blessing. So to be rejected in such a sudden way, no doubt brought with it an unimaginable sorrow. By 1824, this man was crushed and a mere shell of his former self. It may well seem as though any hope of future ministry was gone. But in these few fragments of history, we're able to see that God was breaking and bending this man's heart and preparing him to leave the public pulpit for a ministry of private prayer. It was during this time that two significant things took place in the life of Daniel Nash. One was he crossed paths with a young Charles Finney, Daniel Nash, who was referred to by most as Father Nash, was on the examining committee that was to license Finney to preach. Charles Finney would become known in history as the father of modern revivalism. And as we'll see later, Nash would work closely together with Finney in an evangelistic work. The second thing that took place in this time is that Nash contracted a serious case of inflamed eyes. 
This is a medical condition characterized by red eyes, light sensitivity, and blurry vision. For several weeks, Nash remained in a completely dark room where he could not read or write. This experience proved to be formative for the rest of his life in ministry because it was during this time, as one account reads, he gave himself up almost entirely to prayer. He had a terrible overhauling of his whole Christian experience. And as soon as he was able to see, with a double black veil before his face, he set out to labor for souls. Charles Finney's evangelistic revival meetings began in the region of Evans Mills, New York. It was there where Nash caught up with Finney. Finney said of Nash that when he arrived, he was full of the power of prayer. From that moment, these two men strived for the souls of men together for the next seven years. Their goals were simply stated in a letter, to go where there was neither minister or reformation and to look up the lost sheep for whom no man cared. Now, when it comes to the ministry of Charles Finney, there's no shortage of controversy. Finney's theology was admittedly abhorrent. His methods were unorthodox, to say the least. But Finney was not counting on these to be what moved people to respond to the gospel. He was dependent on the mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit through prayer. Oswald J. Smith explained that Finney always preached with an expectation of seeing the Holy Spirit suddenly outpoured. Until this happened, little or nothing was accomplished. But the moment the Spirit fell upon the people, Finney had nothing else to do but to point them to the Lamb of God. Thus he lived and wrought for years in an atmosphere of revival. The evangelistic partnership between Finney and Nash worked like this. After the Lord would give both Finney and Nash a piece about the location of the next meeting, Nash would quietly relocate there sometimes as many as three or four weeks ahead of Finney. He would then seek to get two or three people to enter into a covenant of prayer with him. Sometimes he had with him a man of similar ministry, Abel Clary. They would spend days praying for the upcoming meeting, praying for souls to be saved, and praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Evangelist Leonard Ravenhill relates a first-hand account. He said, quote, I met an old lady who told me a story about Charles Finney that has challenged me over the years. Finney went to Bolton to minister, but before he began, two men knocked on the door of her humble cottage, wanting lodging. The poor woman looked amazed, for she had no extra accommodations. Finally, for about 25 cents a week, the two men, Father Nash and Clary, rented a dark, damp cellar for the period of Finney's meetings, at least two weeks long. And there, in a self-chosen cell, those prayer partners battled the forces of darkness. In another account, Finney writes, On one occasion when I got to the town to start the revival, a lady contacted me who ran a boarding house. She said, Brother Finney, do you know a Father Nash? He and two other men have been in my boarding house for the past three days, but they haven't eaten a bite of food. I opened the door and peeped in at them because I could hear them groaning, and I saw them down on their faces. They had been this way for three days, lying prostrate on the floor and groaning, 
I thought something awful must have happened to them. I was afraid to go in, and I didn't know what to do. Would you please come and see about them? No, it isn't necessary, Finney replied. They just have the spirit of travail in prayer. There is no doubt about the effectiveness of Finney's Crusades. The best-known revival of this period in American history was that which occurred in Rochester, New York. Over a hundred thousand were considered to have been soundly converted during those meetings. During the Rochester meeting, there are several accounts of these two men in deep agony of soul while praying day and night. Father Nash and Mr. Clary were together in fasting and in prayer much of the time, weeping and crying out to God. Sometimes they lay prostrate without strength to stand up. They risked their health and gave up comforts that they might prevail with God. There is evidence to suggest that 80% of those converted in these meetings stood the test of time. Whereas D.L. Moody, years later, in similar crusades without such a prayer warrior, only saw 50% of his converts last. And today, with all of our organization and technology, many suggest that a 20% endurance rate would be highly optimistic. With such power of God in prayer came a holy boldness. Father Nash, by nature, was a quiet man, a man that stayed behind the scenes. But during one meeting, there were a group of men that were scoffing at the surfaces and doing everything they could to distract and derail the meeting. Toward the end of one service, Nash stood up and addressed the young men in attendance. He said, Now mark me, young men. God will break your ranks in less than a week, either by converting some of you or by sending some of you to hell. He will do this as certainly as the Lord is my God. With urgency, he struck the pew in front of him and then sat down and began to wail in agony. Finney immediately regretted what Nash had done, believing that he had taken things just too far. But in a matter of days, the leader of the group came to Finney under deep distress, and he believed on Jesus. He was then urged by Finney to speak to the others of what had happened to him. And before the week was out, most, if not all, of these young men were born again. But this deep and powerful ministry of prayer took its toll on Nash's body. In various accounts, Finney recalls the physiological suffering of Nash's prayer life. Finney said of Nash, I've never known a person to sweat blood, but I have known a person to pray till the blood started from his nose. I've known persons to pray until they were wet with perspiration in the coldest weather in winter. I've known persons to pray for hours till their strength is all exhausted with the agony of their minds. Father Nash would pray until he got assurance in his mind that God would be with me in preaching, and sometimes he would pray himself ill. I have known that man to go to bed absolutely sick for weariness and faintness under the pressure, and I have known him to pray as if he could do violence to heaven and then have seen the blessing come as plainly in answer to his prayer as if it were revealed so that no person could doubt it any more than if God had spoken it from heaven. After 
After seven years of laboring in prayer for Finney, Daniel Nash died on December the 20th, 1831, at the age of 56. He died in his room, on his knees, praying. Within three or four months after his death, Charles Finney left his itinerant ministry for the pastorate. Daniel Nash's body is buried in a neglected graveyard of his former church, which happens to be along a dirt road behind a livestock auction barn. And there's a little small stone that marks the spot. There is not much beyond this headstone to remember the life of Daniel Nash. His church no longer exists. There are no books that contain a collection of his sermons. There are no rich biographies to put his life on full display. There are no schools named after him, no diaries of all the extraordinary experiences of his life. All that is left are a few scattered fragments of description in an assortment of letters and accounts from Charles Finney. But what little is there is a brilliant, shining example that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So much of what is needed in the human experience lies dormant and untapped because of a neglect of prayer. Believe me, when I pray, I hear the hissing whisper of the enemy. You look like a fool. This is ridiculous. You're wasting your time. But time and time again in the Bible, we're promised that God does hear and answer prayer. Daniel Nash was a man who took these promises seriously and sought God earnestly and persistently and saw God do the miraculous through prayer. Daniel Nash puts on full display for us the truth of Jesus' words. Pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Forgotten is written and produced by me, Ronnie Brown. You can find out more about this show at ForgottenPodcast.com. And as always, thanks for listening.